Have you ever thought about how our world is being shaped? Where are we headed and what might we leave behind? You're listening to Nextcasts, presented by Swissnext San Francisco, where we examine the forces shaping our emergent future through conversations with scientists, entrepreneurs, artists and designers. global pandemic is impacting every aspect of our lives. In a series of online events, our CEO, Joya Deutscher, is in conversation with two thought leaders from diverse perspectives to discuss the future and our new normal. This podcast is a recording from our most recent event. Good morning. Good afternoon, depending on where you are. Welcome to Fireside Chat number three. Um, Today I have two special guests, as usual, one based in California, one based in Switzerland. And I'll get to the introduction of them in just a second. First of all, I wanna say a few words about this um, chat series, this Fireside Chat series. So as you all know, we've been in this pretty surreal, situation of a pandemic, of a global pandemic for four months now, which is a long time. This is a third of a year, a third of a year where truly every aspect of our lives has been affected in one way or another, rapidly accelerating the digitization of many aspects of our lives. However, this has also happened somewhat unequally across the globe. So depending on where you are, you might be affected quite differently than if you were somewhere else. And the changes that might stick as we go back to normal or forward to a new normal actually might equally diverge depending on where you are. And the purpose of this series is to engage with thought leaders from both Switzerland and the U.S. West Coast, people who are active in the arts, in innovation, in technology, in science, and together speculate on where we might head from here. In the previous two chats, we talked to someone from a university and current new president of a university, to someone who runs a venture capital firm to uh, design ICON. And today we're actually bringing together two people that are slightly more on the same page, I would say, in the sense that they both work in innovation and in the corporate sector. So they both come with perspectives that might sound like they might be quite similar. However, one is based in, in San Francisco and works for a Japanese tech giant, and the other one works in Switzerland working for a European food tech giant. So probably, Uh, Yet again, the perspectives will be quite different. Before I go into introducing our two speakers of the day, just a few um, house cleaning (laughs) notifications here. So um, all the attendees, you are muted. You can actually communicate with us through the Q&A function. So feel free to ask your questions at any time during this conversation. We will either weave them into the conversation as we go, if we feel like it fits. Um, Please, I really incentivize you to participate in this conversation. 
And if not, we will try to talk about or bring up as many questions as possible and answer them towards the last 10 minutes of this conversation. And we'll be going for a total of 40 minutes. You will uh, also, just for your information, this session is being recorded, so you can watch it later on if you want to go back to a certain point mentioned. Okay, let me start off today with our speaker from California, Ajay Chander. He is an expert in human-centered technology and products, and he leads the research teams and R&D um, teams at Fujitsu Labs. Fujitsu is a tech giant from Japan in San Francisco. And a tagline that I find quite interesting, which I would love him to say a bit more about, is prosperity at scale. So he really thinks about prosperity, and he thinks of that as mental well-being, food, education, personal finance, management of self and others. And um, I'm very curious to hear a bit more um, about what that triggers, that background and that goal of prosperity at scale as we go through this um, transformation at the moment. Our second guest is Thierry Duvanel. He is the head of collaborative innovation at the Bühler Group, a Swiss food technology giant. And he is a seasoned entrepreneur. Actually, he used to lead Mass Challenge Switzerland. So the startup people in uh, in the room, there is no room, but startup people out there listening might be familiar with Mass Challenge, a Boston-based um, accelerator that actually has uh, opened a branch in Switzerland, which Thierry was responsible for, attracting over 1,000 startups to, into a program happening in the western part of Switzerland. He has, um, he's a seasoned entrepreneur with experience in technology across the EU, Asia, United States, and um, he is today with the Bühler Group in collaborative innovation. And I would also love to hear him talk a little bit about what collaborative innovation slash non-collaborative innovation actually means. But I let the two of them answer these questions that I brought up already as we launch into our first collective um, exploration here. And I would love the two of you to just tell me a little bit what your new normal looks like today. One of you based in California, one of you in Switzerland. Ajay, can you get started? Absolutely. Well, hello everyone. Uh, it's a delight to join Joya and Thierry today for our conversation. Um, uh, thank you for the introduction, Joya. Uh, Fujitsu is a company that is focused on innovation for sustainability at scale and uh, for increasing social trust. And so in that context, uh, taking the lens back down to me as a person in the context of Joya's question, uh, this normal, um, uh, I've been playing with this word new normal and I'm going with better normal for myself because sort of aspirationally that sort of leads me to uh, living in a way that is aligned with, uh, with the way I hope we at scale will start living. So the new normal or the better normal or the normal right now looks more grounded and attentive against a background of more controlled chaos. So uh, what I mean by that is that I used to go to places to provide services at work or to receive services, but now all my worlds are coming together to where I am. And as a result, this creates a bit of chaotic collision. It requires more management on my part and therefore it invites more attention from me to how I'm spending my time across various roles that I have in my life. And so this invitation to be more attentive, more mindful actually leads to 
feeling more grounded and appreciative and grateful while recognizing that a lot around the environment has changed. So I find that uh, uh, a net positive. Very interesting. The more grounded and attentive against a backdrop of more chaos in a way. More, more controlled chaos, yeah. More controlled chaos. Yes, yes. Uh, because, uh, you know, sometimes, yes, I would say yes. Um, uh, I don't know if that's a function of the fact that uh, a lot is happening in the same physical space. Like you, we used to move through space much more and we're not moving through physical space as much. And so in some ways, uh, space is one of those things that we can control what we invite into our homes, what we invite into our attention through the conversations that we participate in and so on. And so uh, it feels like that the ability to be grounded physically, or rather the requirement to be grounded physically, has created an invitation to be more grounded in terms of how we manage our time. And for me personally, that uh, has felt like a positive challenge. I just felt uh, like it connects to how in our role, in my role as an innovator, how technology can help me be more grounded, help me manage all my responsibilities a little bit better. So I would say that that's, that's been my experience so far. Very interesting. So I hear you talk about in a way more intentionality or the invitation to be more intentional in some ways. Thierry, does that resonate with you? It, it does. Uh, at, the, at, at the risk of, uh, of maybe surprising some, um, I think, uh, and I'm not the only one certainly, uh, th this new situation hasn't changed much when you when you deal with um, uh, a network of, of of people who are anyway around the world. Um, so uh, in my day to day, I I, I would say um, I used to spend a lot of time on Zoom, Skype, uh, Google Hangouts, Bluejean, whatever, um, and I still do. <laughs> so it doesn't change uh, much to that. Um, what what is changing though is is the uh, the importance of human. Uh, we we probably realize more than than ever that uh, uh, we ask first how are you doing is everyone safe is your family okay um, and these are probably things that we should have never forgotten. Um, but this, uh, this crisis has reminded us to, to, to do it. And, and, and I see that as a, as a very positive sign. Um, I mean, the situation in Switzerland is, is getting uh, easier. Uh, some say uh, too, too, too much or too early. Uh, we were debating just before about the differences between California or the US in general and, and, and Europe and, and probably Switzerland. Um, but it's, it's surprising to see uh, how we get used easily as, as human beings, as homo sapiens, uh, to any situation when it affects all of us. Uh, I, I remember looking at horrible pictures from World War II. When you, when, when you look at them, you say, well, how, how could these people deal with this? And, and to some extent, um, although it was much less brutal, thankfully, uh, we, we have also gone through and we will still go through some pretty serious uh, situations. But since we are all embarked on the same 
uh, journey, we, we, we deal with it. So um, maybe in, in a little bit of a provo provocative manner, I would say, yes, the means of working, the means for going shopping, the means for uh, doing various activities have changed. But overall, we carry on. Life, life goes on. And, uh, and I sometimes reflect on that just to stay positive and, and to, to really think that uh, regardless of all the, the uh, challenges we're going through, um, in five years' time, we'll look at that and say, well, that was certainly a challenge. That was tough, but we made it. And I'm, I'm positive. I'm, I'm absolutely optimistic that we will go through it. Keep calm and carry on. <laughs> that slogan. In that's, a that's a British person in me. Exactly. Yes. During the bombings, right? So, so we're talking absolutely. about... Absolutely. I was, I was referring to these pictures in my mind. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can I ask both of you, what is the most important thing you learned as you went through this, these last four months? And what is the thing that you learned as a human or as a professional that you want to take into the future with you, into those next five years, Thierry, as you say, when you look back and say, we got through it, but how did we get through it? Like, what did it actually change? What did I want this moment to change? And Ajay, maybe give the word back to you first again. Sure. Um, so for me, it's been a visceral reminder of how densely and deeply connected our lives are with others. Um, you know, if I put on my computer science hat, pandemics are about networks. If I put on my just being a human being hat, life is about being connected. There is a lot of invisible infrastructure, a lot of hidden infrastructure that supports our lives that we sort of have forgotten about. Everything from the people and machines that bring food to the grocery store close to us, to people that uh, provide us with electricity and digital infrastructure that keeps us connected, including in this very moment to care infrastructure that protects us from, for young children, parents, for much older people, perhaps children who are taking care of them, to larger hospitals and systems. So for me, it's been um, uh, a beautiful sort of uncloaking of what's been hiding in plain sight always, this infrastructure that supports our life, the connected, the deep connectedness between all of us in the services, in the small services that we provide, the together, together in this densely connected modern network that Earth 2020 is, uh, supports all of our lives. And as I look at the next five years or the next 10 years, the urgency for increasing safety in all, all of our lives today essentially is a call for making this infrastructure more resilient. And my hope, and uh, it, coming from the research background, my uh, my work and my call and the call of the communities that we all see working hard to solve the present problem is that we take this moment and make it a pathway for prosperity for the world, going from safety today to resilience, to prosperity. And that's, uh, that, that, would be, that would be a wonderful global way to meet what is uh, definitely a crucial need now, but is also a stairway or a pathway to prosperity. Wonderful. I, I love that idea of, of this pathway from safety to resilience. Safety is in a way a reaction. It's a response in the moment. Resilience is something much more forward-looking, something much more sustainable. 
Thierry, what about you? What's your most important lesson you have learned? I, I don't know if it's a if it's a lesson as such, but it's an observation uh, that um, makes me think uh, a lot about also the the other challenges that we that we are dealing with um, before COVID. Uh, it's overall uh, that we uh, we don't deal very well with exponential. Um, to some extent, we we are we are educated. We think we perceive things in a linear way, and when you start analyzing uh, the our surrounding, um, especially when we are facing a pandemic, it's a highly exponential environment, and and we don't deal with that. It, it's it's difficult to grasp. It's difficult to uh, to understand. We see this with the COVID. I mean, uh, you were mentioning in the introduction that we've been through four months of, uh, uh, of pandemic, um, I, I, would, I, would, uh, I would maybe amend that and say, well, it's been actually six to seven months. Uh, we, we know now that the first cases uh, were reported uh, sometimes in December in Europe even. Uh, I read the paper the other day that uh, through the analysis of wastewater in, in Northern Italy, the first cases have been reported as early as the 18th of December uh, last year. Uh, and, and, and this is reflecting the fact that we were talking about a tiny, almost uh, uh, in the noise, right, type of, uh, of, of uh, evolution and, and in, certainly it explodes. Um, why am I talking about this? It's because I think that the other challenges that we are, that we have to deal with, the evolution of the population, the evolution of the greenhouse gases, uh, the CO2, not just to name one, um, but also the, the consumption habits, the, uh, the use of the land, they all are related in an exponential way um, that we try to, to uh, adjust with. And, uh, and maybe if there's something that is uh, an important learning from this pandemic, I hope, it will be to better understand or slightly better grasp these realities and thankfully, maybe or hopefully, maybe uh, be able to uh, uh, to derive some uh, some practical insight for for the future. This is really interesting, Terry, because what I hear you say is that in a way, we are experience we're experiencing the exponential right now, physically, viscerally, Absolutely. and if. If that doesn't let the cup, the drop, the coin drop, and make us understand what that means, how that works, what else will? So, how can we, in a way, transform or extrapolate the learnings from this and apply them to other important, huge global risks that we're facing and need to solve, like climate change, which is an exponential phenomenon as well. So I think that's that's a really interesting thought. So I like that idea of the exponential exponentiality. I don't know if that's a word, but exponentiality of, of so many things in our lives and using this opportunity to 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 actually apply that understanding to other challenges. Yeah, in, um, in a way it's 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 harsh, but it's learning by doing. <laughs> and uh, and, and we understand now what it means to, to, to double and double and double. I mean, it's the old joke of, uh, of the pond and the nenuphers or, or the, 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 the lilies. 
uh, and you ask when it was half covered, it's actually yesterday, it's not uh, uh, half of the days before. Um, so uh, th these realities help us, uh, maybe in a harsh way again, but to, to grasp this, uh, which again, we are not naturally bound to, to, to do. So mm -hmm. I find that interesting. And, and uh, uh, I think it's, it's something that we could also try to absorb for the future. So let me spin that further. And, and I think this, an important thing you just said is this learning by doing. Um, I think we realize right now that every government is literally learning by doing. Nobody knows what the hell is, will stick, what will work, what will be the right solution. Everybody's testing and trying and readjusting along the way. And one thing that I'm really asking myself, um, in the long term, how might this crisis change our appreciation for both, I'm going to take two things, science on the one hand, which has been in a crisis, at least talking in the United States, and government, which I would say remains in a crisis, actually, in a lot of parts around the world. And what's your take on this? How might our appreciation for both science and government, but possibly also apprehension of um, science and government change during this time? Ajay, back to you. Sure. Um, well, I've always been bullish on science. So, uh, you know, I think one of the things that most of us are looking forward to are uh, meaningful therapeutics and vaccines to get past this particular moment of global crisis. Uh, but I'm also a believer in decentralization being a mega force that affects the way structures form and evolve over time. So one of the things that we're seeing in this moment of broad global need is a decentralized approach to creating experiments, sharing the results of those experiments, and advancing our knowledge about therapeutics, about what should frontline doctors in the ER uh, do, what should better preventive measures be across the population, and so on. And one of the things that has been a challenge, though, is that as you have a longer and a fatter tail of, of hypotheses, for example, in order to respond to this, or if we take a different problem, not just a, the, the problem of solving this particular, um, the way this particular virus attacks our body, but solving the problem of sustainability uh, along some of the dimensions that Thierry mentioned. How do we feed a population that is 10 times bigger than it was uh, 50 years ago? How do we generate protein that is sustainable for the planet and does not use animals as the only machine for generating protein. So those are scientific questions. And in order to solve those scientific questions, we need collaboration at a scale that we haven't seen before. In order to provide that collaboration at scale, we need to use information technologies that act as a trusted computational substrate. We were talking earlier about, or I was mentioning how in this sort of controlled chaos, I feel more grounded because I feel the need to manage a new constellation of responsibilities. And in the same way, there's a new constellation of how science is being done across the world in this moment. But it's a reflection, I think, of how science will be done or how innovation will be done. The open source community changed how software is generated. And everything that we are, Zoom uses a huge amount of uh, open source software or anything else that we use in our lives uses a lot of open source software. So if you think about open science, I think about solving call it open solve, let's say. We solve things in a way that we share our experiments and we share our results. To in order to do that at scale, we need new computational substrates that accelerate innovation. So 
I believe that this moment is going to lead to platforms that enable this kind of global connected thinking to happen more frequently. And there's a plethora of powerful, important problems that need that kind of thinking, global warming, uh, food security, uh, well-being, um, creating policies for communities and nations that are, that are equitable. And we have, uh, one of the silver linings of having a lot of people is that we have a lot of intelligent minds that need a substrate to orchestrate their intelligence towards solving those problems. So when it comes to science, I see that as imminent in this decade, these new tools of doing science at scale, uh, provoked by the need that we have in this moment. And um, a couple of words on government, that was the other dimension that you mentioned. So if we look at, uh, again, decentralization applied to governments, and this is something that Switzerland is quite familiar with. And in the US, we have a federal system as well, where different states, as we see in this pandemic, are making different decisions about how the population should react, uh, should behave. Uh, but beyond states, we have even city states, like we live, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and some people think of this, uh, multi-county area as having a different sort of behavioral profile than, for example, even the rest of the state of California does. So the same thing, so it seems that leadership also is moving to a place, given the demands of the moment, where we're all being asked to be our own leaders. So parents know this uh, more viscerally in this moment, especially parents of young kids who have to perhaps do homeschooling together with the normal things that parents do. People who are caregivers inside their homes have to be leaders in a different way. They have to perhaps be nurses and caregivers to a more professional extent than they have been previously. So as we also move towards providing leadership, uh, starting from us as individuals, and we start including in our identity, being a leader ourselves, that has powerful repercussions for what we start to expect from more traditional leaders, whether it's in private or public space. I think that um, with my optimistic lens on the future is also a positive change that comes out of this. This is fascinating, um, Ajay. I think the idea of, I mean, I think this would be its whole own conversation, but how is, how might this moment change leadership through self-leadership starting with children i think that's a that's a fascinating um conversation actually i want i want to actually before i move on to you thierry i want to um bring in a question from the audience because i think it might be um tying in well with what you were just talking about you talked about um the importance of of sort of open science or open solve that requires a computational substrate to actually facilitate that collaboration at scale um, to, to, to solve those challenges. Now, one attendee, um, anonymous actually, so I can't mention the name, otherwise I would like to, but is asking whether the Silicon Valley mantra of scale and growth is still the right instrument in the post-pandemic digital world. And maybe you can tie that to the, the point you just made. Absolutely. So uh, it's a great question. And I would say, let's tease those two words apart. Scale and growth are uh, quite different concepts in my mind. So when you talk about things at scale, uh, you, you mean it in a physics sense. So we want, for example, prosperity or uh, food security. Let's talk about food security. We want food security for everybody on the planet because being able to provide that food security means that human beings as intelligent beings are freed up 
to use their minds and bodies for productive pursuits in a way that they wouldn't be if they are focused on acquiring food. Growth, on the other hand, means that you have a certain metric that you're trying to optimize and that you're continually looking to improve that particular metric. For example, again, in the context of food, you might be trying to say, how can I extract more calories per square foot from a particular piece of land? And these two questions are different. You might provide food security not by providing more calories from a piece of land, but for providing something from a lab or many other ways. You might provide people the ability to create uh, what I call food computers inside their own home. And in 2030, this will not be a strange word, but imagine being able to not print your own food, which is perhaps a little bit further than that, but grow your own food because we have so many distributed technologies of sensing, actuation, and decision-making through IoT, artificial intelligence, and so on and so forth. Uh, so, uh, so I think scale, in my view, is, a, is an appropriate and perhaps even noble uh, goal to go forward because it involves systems levels thinking that includes everybody. Growth perhaps can lead us to a slightly more narrow place of mind where we focus, because it really depends. If you have the right metric, the two can be the same. If you are thinking about growth in general prosperity for everybody, it's, it, can be, it can be the same thing. So with growth, I think there's a higher responsibility to choose the right metric and not be narrowly focused on uh, just optimizing that metric. We've seen problems with that in digital infrastructures and also in in physical infrastructures, so um, that that would be my that would be my perspective on that. Thank you very much. I, I don't want to deprive Thierry also of the chance of talking to us a little bit about your um, assessment on how our perception or appreciation for science and government might be affected. Well, I'll, I'll maybe quickly jump on the governments just on on the on what Ajay said before. Um, I mean, be, before this period, we used to have to read every now and again, what is the best uh, or the most appropriate organization uh, set of, uh, uh, of, of laws or institutions. And you, you could argue that in some cases, big countries do better than small ones. On the other hand, in some cases, small ones will do it. Uh, then the federal organization uh, it has been also cited many times to be quite effective in dealing with different types of crisis. We see that now we have a mix of everything. We, we have uh, pretty big countries dealing relatively well with, with this uh, uh, pandemic. On the other hand, small ones making choices that prove to be actually uh, quite difficult. Uh, Sweden, not to name them, uh, choosing the pathway of, uh, of uh, uh, population um, uh, free to choose uh, whether to isolate or not, and in the end, it, it doesn't prove free to, to work. Uh, the federal uh, organization, I mean, if there's something that we share between a big country like the US and, and Switzerland, tiny countries is the, the, the federal organization where um, actually, yes, it, it, it decentralizes a lot, and it's, uh, it, it can be seen as positive, but it requires also a lot of coordination to have a, uh, a common way to approach the problem, which is anyway bigger than just small communes or, or counties or, or, or cantons, as we call them in Switzerland. So uh, I like very much the idea of being our own leaders uh, and, and developing uh, this maturity over time uh, in the population through education. So th th this would be... This would be my take. I think uh, there's there's no there's no silver bullet. There's probably no 
single solution, but uh, the answer lies very much into, uh, into our own uh, education and, and, and own beliefs. Um, then, I mean, to science, well, I think uh, if there's something which is to be underlined here is that never before it has been as clear that science doesn't work in silos. Um, uh, the, the, the development of any solution to tackle problems as big as pandemic uh, need require absolute uh, in direct uh, uh, relationship coordination among different um, parts of science, whether uh, communication, biology, uh, bioprocessing, whatever. Uh, and, and this is something that uh, maybe at least in Europe was still perceived in some organizations as being, you know, uh, you are a, either a biologist or an electrical engineer or a physicist, but uh, you are not deemed really to, to look at the next silo. Um, a, a pandemic as we are currently in shows clearly that we have to think horizontally, we have to cooperate, we have to collaborate, uh, and, and this is this is a big uh, a big take, um, and and the, maybe the last uh, on 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 my assessment on that is um, is the fact that um, these events, uh, as difficult and and hard they are to go through, are occasions to uh, generate these quantum uh, steps that are characteris uh, characteristics of 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 the evolution. Um, Ajay, you were mentioning just before the, the food security and the, and the challenges we are facing uh, with regards to, to meat, and this is something that speaks very much to, uh, to my activity at the Buda Group. Um, we, we see that uh, basically the human being has been uh, uh, growing meat, if I can say so, on animals for the last 20,000 years as an effective model. Uh, but it just doesn't work anymore due to the increase of population, again, of this exponential growth. So we are bound to change pretty much probably as the hunters and pickers were uh, bound to change 20 or 25,000 years ago uh, when they were facing too much um, problems dealing with the food security precisely. And, and they saw that farmers were actually <laughs> doing it better. It's about time to change. Uh, nothing against farmers, by far not, but it's just a reality that we have to deal with. And, and these evolution can't really take place uh, gradually. They need to be uh, provoked by some events. And I think this is maybe one acceleration that we see here, uh, which is uh, uh, hard to grasp because we are just in the middle of it. But uh, as things go fast nowadays, uh, maybe in a decade or so, we'll see, hey, yeah, absolutely. We were just in the middle and we, we, we've done it. So um, that's actually a good segue because we have two questions from the audience and both of them, I see some connection between the two of them. And they sort of latch on what you were just talking about, Thierry. So Tomasa is asked, uh, no, sorry, um, different question. Um, I actually don't know who it is, but someone's asking how multinational companies like yours try to solve the upcoming exponential problems that have been mentioned. And then someone else actually asks a follow-up question, Audrey, and she's asking, 
if you could name an example of how such a problem can be or has been solved exponentially versus linearly. And I think maybe you just sowed the seed of the answer here, Thierry, by saying it requires that disruption and the disruption will change the exponential change in some way. It will, will trigger an exponential change. But I would love to hear from both of you whether you could name any issue that your company is currently working on that in a way takes an exponential approach to change and solving a major challenge. And Ajay, maybe I'll give the word to you first again. Uh, sure. Um, so I'll mention um, um, uh, I'll mention a particular piece of uh, contribution that our company has made recently that was in the news. So every year there is a supercomputing competition of supercomputers all across the world. And this year, uh, Fujitsu made an ARM-based supercomputer that won the supercomputing challenge. So uh, this supercomputer is being used. Supercomputers, by definition, are uh, powerful processing units. And it's being used to discover protein sequences that accelerate the portions of what will eventually become therapeutics and drugs to address the particular question that we're faced with right now. How do we defeat the various biological pathways that this virus uses and is evolving in its use as it impacts our bodies? So one way to think about exponentials is that uh, the dimensions that you have to search within are much higher than a brain can, uh, can process. I, I often say that, that design, you know, we're used to designing things like, you know, uh, we might design a doorknob or a mug. Design is searched through low dimensional space. It's a search through a space that we can understand. And, and, ex, and uh, machine learning or artificial intelligence or other kinds of technologies help us search through a much more higher dimensional space that our, we can keep in our minds at one particular time. So a supercomputer in particular helps us uh, search through a high dimensional space of chemical interactions, uh, lengths of proteins, kinds of proteins, the molecules themselves, the, the biological interaction pathways. And that kind of approach to solving a particular problem is applicable for all kinds of other kinds of discoveries. So when we need to find a solution in a high dimensional space, this is especially where using technology to solve that particular kind of exponential challenge becomes useful. So that's one thing that comes immediately to mind. And I will also mention that including um, that, uh, it, I think this is connected to some of the things that Thierry and we were saying earlier about not working in silos. So in this particular moment, there's been a consortium of Japanese and global companies that have committed to donating their intellectual property for search for solutions that will address COVID for free. And this is sort of a growing movement. And this is also another way in which we tackle this thing together. Fantastic, very interesting example. Thierry, from Bühler, any example you can mention? I, maybe I would, I would rephrase the question because I'm not sure that you can solve a problem exponentially versus linearly. Um, I think the answer to an exponential problem is is in steps precisely, uh, and and the uh, uh, the the challenge is to be able to address these steps uh, by embarking everyone uh, on the journey and and not provoking too many sieges. Um, so uh, the 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 fact that we've been able to uh, operate, but I mean this is not specific to Buder, uh carry on operations with our customers. Uh, doing factory acceptance tests, for instance, 
for anyone in the industrial uh, sector, uh, this is normally an exercise that requires very much to be on site and to see the new equipment coming and being installed and deployed. We've run that through uh, webcams. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's quite interesting to see that uh, uh, we, we, we adapt to, to those elements um, without uh, too, many, too many questions. Um, the, the exponential uh, uh, problem, I think, um, is, uh, is, is something that needs to be addressed in, in steps and in, in, in quantum leaps rather than uh, in a continuous manner. Mm -hmm. Can I jump in on that, if you don't mind, Joya? So I think the uh, Thierry used a, you used the word steps, and it sort of reminded me of the process of education. Um, you were talking about beliefs a little bit earlier. So you know, it's interesting. Like you know, when we think about the way our own beliefs uh, evolve, uh, some of them evolve exponentially, and some of them evolve linearly. You know, so something that is embedded as a belief with us when we're very small children, or when we're a moment of change, whether it's in, now during our teenage lives or another, another moment of change, we hold on to that as an axiom and we kind of build on it multiplicatively in a way that's sort of similar to exponential processes. So, uh, so I offer this as a provocation to everybody. Could we design uh, belief systems that are based on true information or based on, let's say, useful information that seeds an exponential process that allows us as intelligent human beings to look at important problems that we want to solve in a new way. And then we become the exponential because the way that we are approaching the problem is seeded with useful information. And we're given a process, perhaps a collaborative process connected with other people around the world that adds another dimension of continuing that multiplicative um, uh, agenda that moves us towards a solution. So uh, if you take away from that description something useful, then I'd love to connect more with you about it. But I think there's something there about harnessing our collective intelligence by starting with useful reframings of reality such that we move um, exponentially, in, in a, so to speak, towards, uh, towards, a, uh, towards a good solution. Interesting. The exponentiality of, of the belief system and using that for good. I mean, it reminds me again of the idea of the pandemic being an exponential phenomenon. How could we use that same, let's say, network effect for collaboration and positive beliefs um, for, for solving global common challenges? Now, we only have a few minutes left, and I really want to ask you um, one last question that is, is, is dear to me. Um, that I like to end on, which is, um, you know, this, this is a time uh, that requires a lot of courage on many levels as we're facing so many news in our, in our daily lives. And um, I heard one professor talk about the courage of imagination, which in a way is the most important type of courage we need right now. Now, if you muster all your courage to be as imaginative as possible, what is the, your wildest imagination for a post-COVID-19 future? Um, what, is, what will your role be in building this future? Where would you like to see us going from here? Thierry. Oh my God, this is, uh, uh, and, and you started by saying we have five minutes, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you one. <laughs> give me one, even better. Uh, look, 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 it's, uh, um, uh, the, 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 uh, what I'd like to embark with me in the future and how I see this is, is, uh, 
is a phenomenal learning uh, experience um, that will feed into uh, numerous projects in the future. Um, but making uh, us believe that we, we can address those, those questions um, and, uh, and rethink some of our uh, very basic organization uh, elements. Uh, thinking of uh, the resilience we can build in our own lives, uh, thinking of uh, the importance to listen to experts. Uh, I mean, just to name a few, it's not so much structured, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid, but um, I think that the, the learning, I'm, I'm a learner personally, I, I love to, uh, to look at new things and, uh, uh, and, and learn new ideas, uh, and I, I see this as a fantastic opportunity uh, to feed uh, new uh, new ideas in the future. Wonderful. Ajay, ping pong to you. Well, I would say that, um, you know, we have been, uh, we have been gifted a golden opportunity, a painful but a golden opportunity to sort of, uh, uh, to redesign the infrastructure in our world so that it's more purposeful and it's more caring. Uh, in my view, we are sort of globally been experienced a crisis of purpose and of love. You know, love and connection can be used interchangeably in this context. And as we bring focus, everybody individually around the world has brought focus over these last six to seven months about to their own personal health because there is a threat. And that, that focus has brought a greater focus to how they're spending their time, how what, uh, what infrastructure in their lives supports them to be safe, to be well, to prosper. And, I, and the crisis and its economic effects has also done something unique, which is it has put a price tag on not being resilient, on not having an infrastructure that provides these things. So I see our next decade to be an evolution towards a purpose-based and care-based economy. And um, I am very optimistic about using technology as a tool within an intentful transformation towards uh, greater safety, resilience, and prosperity. Never, well, never well, waste yeah. a crisis. <laughs> if I never waste a good crisis, absolutely. Well, I, I, I think I would like to sort of summarize this conversation, um, which is something I usually do, but I heard so many important things, and I will still say a few things, but I think, Ajay, you also ended it so beautifully on the note of building an economy of purpose, love, and care. And, in a way that in and by itself is resilience. I think those are the basic pillars of resilience and resilience is a word that came up a few times. But going back a little bit, we, we, we talked about intentionality of this moment and right now we, we can in a way be more intentional and allow things into our lives by, um, by actually virtue of being inside and letting and things being outside. So we are more intentional in that sense. We also talked about, Thierry, um, the idea of a crisis that affects all of us. Um, it's something that we're all going through together. The, the idea that pen, um, pandemics are networks and they actually teach us what exponentiality means. They teach us that in a visceral way. In that sense, it broadens our understanding for so many other issues we are um, grappling with as, huma as a humanity, as a shared humanity, leading us to, import to the importance of being bullish on science, as you said it, RJ, um, the importance of open science, open solve with the right 
computational substrate that can accelerate innovation that is collaborative. That takes us back to your title, actually, um, Thierry, collaborative innovation, which is absolutely a, a, a need as we um, tackle these problems, going beyond silos, um, talking to each other across different disciplines to solve challenges that are way bigger than any one brain or any one discipline can possibly grasp. And um, yeah, then going back to the idea of redesigning our infrastructure towards more purpose, love and care in order to be more resilient. So this is what I'm taking away from this conversation today. I thank you both so much for joining. This was a, a highlight of my week as I'm sitting in quarantine in Switzerland. I will say that it's been really inspiring and taking a lot away with me. I want to thank everybody um, in the audience also for joining us and staying with us and also for asking lots of questions. I'm sorry we did not get to quite all of them, but we were able to answer some of them at least in, in the course of this conversation. So a big thank you to everybody, Thierry, RJ, and then of course everyone in the background who's making the technology work, especially Natalia and Nicola as well as Sarah. Big thank you to everybody and we hope you will join us again in one of our next ones to be announced soon. Thank you, thank it was you. a pleasure. A pleasure. Thank you everybody. Thank you Stay so much. Stay well everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.